American corn farmers, a proud and chosen profession inspired through generations. Tested, resilient, and committed to giving back as much as they're growing, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with every bushel, while replenishing every increasingly precious resource, like the reduction of soil loss by 40% with every acre grown. In a world where sustainability matters more than ever, we need all the help we can get. And there's no greater resource than the capable hands of American corn farmers.
Thanks for joining me. Sorry, I had a little poop. <laughs> Thank God. That'll happen. Hold on. Okay. Are you there? Sorry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me tonight on Gay Mass. Thanks for listening. If you're listening live or listening in the archives, thank you for listening to the show. That was Roseanne Murphy. She is actually, um, the name of that song is You Know Me Better. I like it a lot. She's actually from um, Europe. She's, uh, I think she's Belgium, Belgium or French or, or something like that. I can't remember which. But anyway, she's a pretty cool chick. And uh, check her out if you haven't heard of her. If you'd like more obscure music, which I do. And I thought that would be the perfect, wait a second, am I broadcasting? Because nothing's coming through here on my microphone. Uh, let's see here. Fuck. Let's make sure that we're actually broadcasting because nothing's coming through on there. So let's listen to my phone here. Um, I changed my settings a little, so I'm not sure that I'm actually broadcasting right now. Let's see. Off limit show. Play. Yeah, you can hear me, but for some reason it's not registering on there. Anyway, sorry about that. So anyway, um, if you want to know more about me, you can listen to, you can go to offlimitshow.com and listen there live to the show, or you can listen live on um, Spreaker.com. You can also listen to the show in the archives on those places as well as on uh, iTunes, and the podcast is uh, broadcast there. Uh, search for Game Ass, Off Limit Show, and for Brain Purge, all the shows that I do there. And um, also on several other sites as well. I'm sure you'll find me wherever you look for me. So anyway, thanks for listening, wherever you're listening or however you're listening tonight. <clears throat> so I want to talk tonight about Gaydar. And the reason is because I was actually on Periscope, which I've been like addicted to lately. It is a really good, awesome way <laughs> to talk to people like celebrities and, and famous people and people that you uh, see on television uh, and in entertainment uh, to kind of talk to them directly. I mean, literally talk to them directly, uh, at least through texting through, with them on a chat, uh, and actually seeing them live. And, you know, I've done that with Andy Cohen and, and uh, some other people, Lance Bass. And, um, uh, oh, the, but anyway, this week I, I, I periscoped with, uh, with Scott Nevins, who's actually on, um, he is on, uh, uh, the People's Couch, which is a show on Bravo, which if you haven't seen The People's Couch, it's a fucking great concept and so simplistic, but so wonderful because um, it came out a couple years ago um, and it's uh, a show, on, like I said, on Bravo. It's a show where you're watching other people watch television and their reactions to the show. And it's a great show. It's fun. And you, of course, see yourself in the show and see the things that you're thinking and feeling being mirrored back to you by the people on the couch and all the things you've seen and talked about throughout the week on the shows you watch, like, you know, all the Bravo shows, like the housewife shows or whatever, and other shows like Scandal or they, they watch all sorts of shows from different networks and things. So it's pretty funny. It's fun. Anyway, one of the there's several different represent, representatives of America, basically, there. Um, you know, several families, and there's couples and, and friends. And one of the three friends is Scott Nevins and his friend Emerson. Uh, and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. I'm so sorry. But uh, they, they're, they're pretty funny. They're all gay. And uh, so you get to see the gay perspective <clears throat> on these same shows, and you get to see the perspective from various uh, families, like I said, and other people, straight people, gay people, black people, white people, <laughs> all kinds of old people. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, so he's on that show and he's actually pretty well. Uh, I mean, I think he's pretty well known. I mean, if you see his face, you'll recognize it because you would know who he is if you saw his face. And he's not like 
an A-list actor, but he's working his way up. He's trying to, so good luck for him. Anyway, my point is, is that I did talk to him uh, through Periscope, and he agreed to be on the show and um, sometime in the future. So I appreciate that. So I'll let you know when he's going to be on the show. And also today, I talked to uh, Emerson, who's also on the show, um, on the uh, People's Couch show. And I was talking to him. It was the first time I've ever, ever chatted with him on, on his Periscope. And he was discussing, or I was talking about, Gadar. I can't remember how it came up in conversation, but he just like went off about how Gadar is just stereotyping people. That's all it is. And it's not really a real thing and blah, blah, blah. Well, I disagree with that. And I just let it go. I said, well, I'd love to talk to you about it on my show. And he said, he'd come on the show and talk about it, whatever. Great. Anyway, the thing is, is that I wanted to talk about Gadar on the show tonight because the things he said were kind of interesting and um, made me think about, you know, some of the, the things I've thought about when it comes to Gadar. Now, if you don't know what Gadar is, I'm sure you do. If you listen to this show, for God's sakes, you know what Gadar is. <laughs> but just in case you're, you don't know and you're some stray person listening out there who doesn't ever have any clue what, it's, what Gadar actually is, well, I'll tell you. Gadar basically came about meaning how we gay people kind of know when someone else is gay whether they're a gay man or a lesbian or whatever. And um, there is a, a school of thought about this that states that it is an instinctual thing and it is a, it is something that people just know. Um, and other people think as Emerson mentioned today on his Periscope um, that it is instead simply stereotyping other people. And it is uh, in my opinion, not just that it can be that you know, people can look at other people and they can make judgments based on the way they dress, the way they look, the way they act, mannerisms, whatever. And of course, stereotype them, uh, in that, in that manner, of course. And so I'm not debating that that is a possibility and that people do that and make judgments about people about their sexual orientation based on stereotypes. Of course they do. However, I do disagree with him, uh, to the point to, or to the extent that, um, it is more innate in my opinion. And he, I, he said, well, how then you, how do you tell if you're not basing it on, if you're not basing it on, um, how someone looks or acts or whatever, what are you basing it on? I said, instincts, it's instincts, you know, it's intuitive, it's intuition. And not everyone believes in intuition or instinct or whatever, but I do. And I do feel that it is something, you know, that does drive us, you know, it's the same way, for example, that, you know, someone is, you know, may know someone is uh, a bad person. Just get a feeling about someone who's a bad person or a good person or a, a nice person or somebody who's like really freaky and bad or, or whatever the case may be. So it, it's really um, more about this, this instinct. And I think in some ways it may have been something that we've evolved, not just gay people, but heterosexuals too. Heterosexuals have, you know, maybe they have straight dar. I don't know what you want to call it, but in terms of how they know someone is, is interested in them or they would be interested in them, not necessarily just sexually, but that they're heterosexual. I don't know because I'm not heterosexual. I can't tell you, I can't speak on that. But on, in my experience, in the experience of many gay men and gay women, we have experienced knowing someone is gay just by looking at them and not having to have spoken to them or seen them or even known their mannerisms or whatever. Uh, just seeing them from across the room, I mean, whatever is how we can decide that they're gay and, or we think that they're gay. Now is Gator a hundred percent correct? No, I'd say it's probably 90 times, 90% correct or something in that range. But I do think that mine is highly tuned, attuned. And so anyway, I was looking about this today and reading about it after I had the discussion and in, in preparation for the show. And I ran across a few articles that I thought were interesting in regards to this topic. And, um, 
uh, primarily, you know, sorry about that. Primarily gaydar is, um, you know, in one of these studies, it says that gaydar is up to 80% accurate on sexuality. And in this particular study, what they did is they, is they took a, a cross section of uh, students from, from college or a college and uh, showed them a variety of images uh, for just a split second um, because that is how we determine, uh, you know, how gaydar works or whatever, how we determine someone's um, sexual orientation or, or whatever other kind of characteristics we may make as a snap judgment about other people. And um, so, so, so one of the things they did was they showed a picture in grayscale of a face and they had stripped out all the hair and the jewelry and the clothing and, and nothing else, but just the face and 80% of them accurately uh, guessed or what are used or attuned to their gaydar, <laughs> whether this person was gay if you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Or heterosexual and uh, or not. And so this is an interesting, you know, study. And I think, I think it really does prove that there is something to it. Of course, there was more to it, of course. And, um... It also discusses the fact that um, the more people that you are around in your lifetime, in your life and in your daily life and just in general, the more finely attuned your gaydar may be, the more the bigger variety of types of individuals. And so you begin to hone in instinctually on particular um, characteristics about a person that are uh, more or less, um, subconscious and not really, uh, necessarily overt. So because of this, people don't necessarily even know that they're making a judgment on someone based on how they look or whatever the case may be, uh, or whatever it is that determines Gadar's, you know, ability. Um, so anyway, my point is, is that it was an interesting study. The other study I, I read, uh, was a very academic study <laughs> and a very, it was based on, it was actually a psycho psychology paper. And, uh, the paper actually says it's entitled rather inferences about sexual orientation, the role of stereotypes faces and the gaydar myth. And so this, this study would support what Emerson had said today on Periscope about how primarily people make judgments uh, of gaydar, called gaydar, making judgments based on stereotypical cues. Um, and that's basically what the whole thing is. It was like an 84 page thing. I'm not going to read it, obviously. I mean, I read most of it, but I'm not going to read it to you on the air. But the conclusion says, I'll read that to you. It's real short. It says, uh, let me go to it. If I can get my computer to cooperate. Uh, the conclusion says, um, basically, good Lord, there's like a ton of footnotes here. Hold <laughs> on. Here we go. Conclusion. The Gaydar myth is one example of Allport's observation that groups that seem to be different will be thought or made to look different. We found no support for the conclusion of prior work that the faces of gay men, lesbian women look different from the faces of straight people. Gay men and lesbian women's non-visible group status, however, is rendered purport 
purportedly visible by their cultural stereotypes. Relying on these stereotypes to infer orientation, however, is unlikely to yield always accurate conclusions. Further, the folk concept of gaydar is a legitimizing myth that exacerbates the stereotyping process, covertly encouraging reliance on the stereotypes as categorization cues, seeking out emphasizing intergroup similarities rather than intergroup differences, combating stereotypes and dispelling legitimizing myths will help us to progress toward the personal and societal goal of social equality. That's what it said. And so this, this would say that it's a bad thing to have gaydar and the bad thing to use it and the bad thing to uh, essentially, you know, um, make judgments on people, whether they're gay or not. Now I have to disagree with this for several reasons, but first of all, every single person, every human being on this planet you always pass judgments, whether you're recognizing that you're doing it or not. You're, when you meet someone, you're making judgments on them. You're judging their hair or the way they look physically or their race or their sexual orientation or their, their manner of speaking or their speech or their mannerisms or whether they're wealthy, whether they're, whether they're poor, whether they're the middle class, whether they're educated, whether they're not educated based on how they speak, etc. So these are all judgments that we make in a split second when we meet somebody that are going on in our brain and our subconscious primarily. And because of these, these judgments we make, it's not uncommon for us to make judgments like whether someone's gay or straight. And it isn't a bad thing. And so he was, the way he was kind of couching it was as if it was a bad thing to somehow, um, quote unquote, as he put it, stereotype people. And, and I, of course, I agree that stereotyping people, you know, because of race, because of sexual orientation, because of uh, a sex, sex or because of religion or whatever is a bad thing to some degree in terms of, you know, using that against someone. However, when you are a gay person and you're looking at other gay people, um, in to pass judgments on whether someone is gay or not, uh, whether they are, whether it's for, because you want to know them as a friend or you want to know them as a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, it, it isn't a bad thing. It's just a, a survival thing. It's just a, a matter of, of finding people like you. And that's why I think that it may indeed be somewhat instinctual, whether or not it's partially, um, stereotyping or not is, is of no consequence because the fact is that we as gay people, especially in the olden days before we had our rights, any rights at all, really, you know, in the fifties and sixties and things like that, before the gay rights liberation movement came about, um, it was almost it was almost imperative that we have some sort of means of picking out other people, and they would. That's why they would have handkerchiefs, and they would have I don't know a feather in their head or, or their, their their lapel or a rose or a flower or whatever. And so those are ways and cues to find those things. But I think there's also a, maybe an evolutionary means of seek, seeking out people like ourselves for not procreation, obviously, but for sexual conquest and for sexual, you know, fun or whatever. And so it is, I think, inherent and in, indeed, I do, I think that it is certainly at least partially uh, subconscious and innate within gay people. And that's why, for example, you know, with me, um, when I was, uh, I mean, I've always had a really finely attuned gaydar. I've always had one. And, um, you know, that's why I know that it's a real thing. It's not a, you know, it's just something I'm making up or whatever. And so it is important that people realize that some of us do know that we have what you want to call gaydar, whether it's stereotyping or not. And for example, when I was, uh, my, my cousin, um, he is kind of anti-gay or whatever. I mean, he's not anti-gay, but he's just not real. His parents are more anti-gay, but he's not really anti-gay, just not real comfortable with it. My first cousin, when I was growing up and I came out to him or whatever, 
and the rest of the family, you know, he was like, he wasn't that comfortable with it anyway. So fast forward years and years later, and he has two kids and, um, he had two kids, a boy and a girl and the girl, I had never met either one of them. I still haven't cause I don't really talk to them. They live in California. Um, I was, uh, looking at a photograph of the girl and she was probably five, six years old. She didn't look especially butch. She didn't look like she was more sporty or peppermint patty-ish or anything like that. She was very feminine looking. And for some reason, I looked at her and I said, oh, she's going to be gay. I didn't say that to him. I said it to my mother. And she said, why do you say that? I said, I can just tell. She's going to be gay. I said, she said, what are you talking about? I said, it's gaydar. And fast forward to about <laughs> three or four months ago, lo and behold, she comes out to my cousin. She's now, I think, 16 or 15 or something comes out to my cousin and my grand, my uncle and my aunt. And, um, of course they had a really hard time with it. Uh, and I said to my mother, told you, <laughs> told you. So it is a real thing. And what was I making a judgment on based on how she dressed? No. Based on how she looked? No. Based on what? It was an instinctual thing. It was nothing. There was nothing for me to think. I'd never met the girl, right? I'd never met her. I still haven't. So there's nothing for me to say that she was gay, you know, in any sort of knowledgeable fashion, I didn't have any clue that she was gay except for what I felt innately. And that is gaydar in my opinion. Um, and also in high school, I don't really talked about this much, but anyway, <laughs> in high school, um, there was a guy I had a huge crush on. Um, and we were in, uh, we had a science lab together in chemistry class and he was assigned to be my partner. <clears throat> He was a really like big jock or whatever on campus. I have to get a drink just a second. Sorry about that. He was a really big jock on campus and he was a football player. I think football player. I think it was football or baseball. I don't know. It's it something like that anyway. And, um, he was like, I thought he, at the time, of course, thinking back, you know, I, he was okay, I guess. But at the time I just thought he was just dropped dead gorgeous. He had blonde hair and blue eyes. He was big and he was muscular and he was, he had a deep voice and he was just sexy, you know? And he was straight as hell. Okay. He was just like so straight. And, um, it was just like, you know, he was just really straight. He had a girlfriend. He was a cheerleader, of course. And I mean, just the stereotypical jock. Right. And so there was nothing about him that screamed or said gay. However, I just had a feeling that he may be gay. Um, because I don't know why, I don't know what it was about him that made me think that, other than the fact that I just had an instinct that he was gay, even though there was no reason for me to think that. And so, um, his name was Eric, by the way. Anyway, so he, <clears throat> so one day, we, excuse me, we got called to an assembly in, uh, the, um, auditorium during class. I don't remember what for or whatever. And, uh, I had sat back towards the back of the auditorium. Everybody else was towards the front and it was our class and a few other classes. It wasn't the whole school, but it was a lot of, a lot of the school anyway. And so we were kind of back there by ourselves. and he sat down next to me cause we were in the lab together and this, this, this orientation or whatever they were doing went on for about 30 minutes. And anyway, in about 10 minutes into it, he's sitting there next to me. He puts his hand on my knee. Okay. And I get this jolt of like electricity going through my body and I'm thinking, Okay. Is he, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking he's just trying to like make a joke of me or a mockery of me because he knows I'm gay and he's trying, this is a trick or a prank and, or people are watching us and he's trying to just make fun of me or whatever. Right. And so I was like, I put my hand on his hand. I pushed it away. I said, don't do that here. And he said, why? He said, why not like that? And he did it again. 
And then he slid his hand up my to my crotch. And anyway, my point is it got to <laughs> it got to a little more. He was very, very brazen about the whole thing. And we were way back in the back by ourselves and nobody else could see us. I mean, not by, we weren't by the door or anything. We weren't by the aisle end. So we were at the other side. Anyway, my point is, is we didn't like have sex or anything, but he was basically molesting and fondling me and I was doing the same to him. <clears throat> and, um, so I was at that point vindicated. So after the, after the assembly was over, we had to sit there for a few minutes, of course, and then we got up and we went back to class. And so through the whole class, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy's gay, this guy's gay, this guy's gay, this guy's gay. And I'm just, and I'm also wondering when's the other shoe going to drop? Is he going to like, is he going to like, like all of a sudden, like start laughing and telling his friends, you know, in middle class or, or whatever. He never said anything. And, uh, the next day, uh, he didn't show up to class. And I found out after that, that he, uh, he dropped out of the class. And for whatever reason they said, I can't remember what they said. And I never, I, I saw him in class, I saw him in the halls or whatever. And he would look at me and, and, but kind of look away and that would be it. And he never said anything about it or anything else. And then it turns out now as an adult, he is what he's gay. So <laughs> these are just a couple of, a couple of examples of my instinct being dead on about people that were completely, uh, un-gay looking or whatever people who were completely not what you would have expected to be uh to, you would have expected to be gay a very stereotypical you know macho jock guy and a teenage girl who i had never met <coughs> who happens to be my cousin excuse me so um so so my point is there is definitely something to the fact that gaydar is instinctual whether or not it is a combination of um, is a combination of being on, excuse me, using your instincts and using visual cues, and it probably is a combination of those things. I don't think it's what. Planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVic coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your Vic card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVic coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVic and Harris Teeter fuel points. Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. You would call stereotypings as much as I would say it is a an instinctual instinct. Just like I think animals have instincts about... Um, like birds, like birds have instinct, right? How do they fly in groups and, and always know to go back south and north, et cetera, in the winter and the, the summer and spring and those types of things. They just do it by instinct. It's just an autopilot. And I think it's the same thing with gay men and gay women. We know our kind when we see them. And I think that it's, uh, I think it's an interesting phenomena. I think it's something that is, is truly, truly, um, within us. So that's what I think about gay art. <clears throat> Sorry about the coughing. Um, anyway, so I'm going to take a quick break, come back, and we're going to talk about some things going on in pop culture right now. Uh, oh, by the way, if you want to call into the show, you can. The number is uh, 214-377-0489. 
I think. I can never remember. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I'm just getting old. Anyway, so I'll be right back uh, after this.
thanks for joining me today on the Off Limits show. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, so um, there's several things going on I want to talk about. First of all, I saw um, a couple of movies. Well, first of all, let me talk about Mad Men. I don't know how many of you watched Mad Men or whatever. I'll talk about it just for a minute, though. But um, I, you know, I loved the show. It was a great show. I loved Don Draper. I loved Peggy Olsen. I loved Joan. <laughs> I loved all of the people on the show. It was an incredibly well-written show, incredibly filmed, directed. It was just a really good, good TV show. It was good TV, which you don't see a lot of anymore these days. It's just, you know, rare. But it was on AMC, which, of course, is a great <clears throat> channel. Um, so... Uh, anyway, Mad Men ended on Sunday after a six-year run or six-season run, and it was um, the very end of it. By the way, if you haven't seen it, you, and if you do watch the show and you haven't seen the final finale, then don't listen to this. It might spoil your uh, surprises. But um, the, my take of it at the end of the show basically was that one, Peggy finally found love, thank God, with a man we all knew she was in love with. Two, um, Joan finally decided to choose herself over a man and she made the right choice. I think three, um, Don, uh, Betty died <coughs> of dying of breast cancer, which I may be dying of lung cancer. I mean, which I may be as well, it seems. Uh, and number four, um, was, uh, what was the fourth one? <laughs> oh, Don, Don Draper. Um, the very end of the show, he goes to this ashram or it was not an ashram, but it's more like a, it's like a retreat, a spiritual retreat, like a hippie dippy spiritual retreat place, whatever in this 1970. And he goes out there and he gets stuck there for reasons I won't go into anyway. And, uh, he begins to kind of have this breakdown and kind of self analyzation and he he's got he's you know left his job and at the biggest advertising agency in the world, McKenna Erickson in New York City, <clears throat> and so he uh, is planning not to ever go back. And he's there, and he kind of has this this epiphany about himself. And they're doing this um, yoga and all this kind of hippie love stuff about loving one another and and teaching each other to love each other that kind of thing. And at the very end, he's meditating and they go into and he had by the way his account was his big account at McCann Erickson was Coca-Cola and he hadn't written an ad for it or anything yet he hadn't done any work on it and at the very end they play the old, the old very well known song uh, or ad by Coke I'd like to teach the world to sing you know I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony that song and so, and the I'm sure most of you, if you're my age or older, definitely remember that that uh, that commercial. <laughs> Even if you're not old enough to remember it being on air, you're old enough to probably uh, know the song. But anyway, and so my take was it that he left that place, he went back, he wrote that, and he wrote that uh, that ad, um, which was world famous, of course, and uh, based on his time there. And it kind of had a new outlook on life and went on, went on with his life happily. So anyway, it ended. It was good <coughs> while well, it ended. Excuse me. But there was a gay character. I'm sorry for the coughing. There was a gay character on the show named Sal um, who left about two or three seasons ago. <clears throat> and it was kind of a sad character. He was married, of course, and in the 60s and uh, um, was gay and having a gay affair or whatever. And uh, was having gay sex in the park and things like that. And he probably, they didn't say what happened to him, but he probably ends up with dying of AIDS or something because that's the time period that it would have happened. But um, but the, the whole thing that's about Mad Men was is the, the 60s was kind of, it's always been over glamour. It's always been glamorized. And this show definitely glamorized it to a great degree. Um, but it was 
a very tumultuous time. I asked my mom about it before. Of course, she grew up in that era. And, uh, and she says it was a horrible time. There was just so much crap going on, tumultuous stuff, civil, civil rights issues and wars and just a huge transition between the 50s and the 70s. It was a huge transitional period. And so I think about where we live now in the 2015, oh my God, um, and we are in a time period, I'm wondering what we're going to say when we look back on 2015 or two, the 2010s or whatever they call us, the teens, I guess, um, and uh, what they're going to say about, what we're going to say about ourselves, uh, because <clears throat> being gay in this era is a very difficult thing, not as much as it was when I was a kid, obviously, not as much as it was for the the previous generations in the same way. But I think we've reached a critical mass era now with gay rights because we are now um, beyond the point where we're just asking for rights or whatever. We're, we're at the point where we're getting them and getting equality finally, slowly, slowly getting it and getting gay marriage and getting equality under the law in all, you know, all ways. And it's pissing people off because the people who hate us, whom, and of course they always say, they, oh, they don't hate gays. They just want to save us. The evangelical Christians and the right-wing Republicans, and the teabaggers, et cetera, all of those people are um, against us. And they're so fucking livid that we're actually winning our rights. Well, we're winning our rights, of course, because, well, we deserve them <laughs> because we are citizens of the United States. We pay taxes just like everyone else. And we have, uh, we take up, we have the right to take up just as much air and space as anyone else in this this world because we're gay does not make us second class citizens. And that pisses them off to think that we think that we're equal with them. And, and truthfully it does. And I have known so many people who are anti-gay and, and, and they just really do feel that they're better than us. And because they're heterosexual and they have children and they, they, they do the, they do what they've been programmed to do. And of course, most of us see it as that as such as just, that's what they've been programmed to do. Not necessarily what they wanted to do with their lives. Um, you know, it's what society has programmed them to do. And that's the great thing about being gay is that we've been able to make our own rules for so long. Of course, we also want to be able to do, um, what we want in terms of the traditional aspects of marriage and, and monogamy and those sorts of things as well. But I don't think that it is um, seen by them as, oh, they're trying to be like us. And so they see us as us trying to take away their rights. So it's a bunch of fucking bullshit. But anyway, one of the things in the news right now is, uh, um, you know, about Jeb Bush, you know, fucking Jeb Bush is running for president. And, uh, you know, if people really want to see a Bush-Clinton, you know, showdown for the presidency, of course, in 2016, because it would be epic, of course, because it's, you know, these two power, politically powerful, uh, iconic families coming back to uh, show down again to win the presidency, just like they did before with Clinton and Bush. So um, I think that, uh, but anyway, Jeb Bush, of course, makes it very clear that he opposes marriage equality and supports religious liberty laws, as he calls it. He says a big country, a tolerant country, ought to be able to figure out the difference between discriminating someone, uh, discriminating someone because of their sexual orientation and not forcing someone to participate in a wedding they find that goes against their moral beliefs. This should not be that complicated. Gosh, it is right now. Gosh. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's what he says. And so I've always found this argument with, um, oh this argument with, uh, you know, these Republicans to be so ludicrous because most of them are saying that they're being forced to, to make 
gay people get married or whatever or to marry gay people or they're being forced to uh, approve of it. I don't give a fuck if they approve it or not. Do you give a fuck if they approve our relationships? No, I don't give a fuck. All we care about and all we want is what? Equality. We want the same rights as everyone else has. And that's not asking a lot, in my opinion. I think that we want the same fucking rights. So um, to be... Um, hold on, sorry. To be absolutely honest about it, I think that most of them are, are you know, just basically scared shitless that we're actually getting our rights these days. And, you know, that's nothing could be more truthful. It's the truth. They're fucking scared shitless that we're going to get our rights. And I don't know. And part of it, of course, is the fact that we were also vilified in the 60s and the 50s and by those stupid um, homo- anti-homosexual videos about homosexuals all being pedophiles and how about we're deviants and we're horrible people and so forth. Um, and so that's kind of been ingrained in society for so long that they, they cannot seem to shake that image of us. And, um, the reality is most of us are just like they are. We want the same things, the same rights. So it's not like we're asking for something special. Of course, you ask them, we want special rights, of course. Right. Um, the other thing in political news, of course, in Texas, specifically where I'm from, is um, the, the Texas, you know, is trying to pass a law because Texas is Texas, where uh, Texans do not have to are, are not allowed to perform or use any money, uh, governmental money um, or agency to perform gay marriages, even if the federal government says that they have to. Now, Texas is, is is all about being rebellious. That's what the state's kind of ingrained in us growing up here. And um, but uh, okay, you're elbow deep up the business end of a turkey. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, the problem with that is, is that you know you could be rebellious just to be rebellious. You can be rebellious to have a cause. You know, a rebel without a cause. But that's really what Texas is these days. And instead of actually fighting for what's right, they're fighting for what the Republicans who lead this fucking state want. Sixty percent of Texans, or something like that, sixty-one percent of Texans in a poll I read are for gay marriage. And so, if that's true, then why are the people here who are running the government trying so so hard to work against us? Um, because they have, you know, we're here. We have a very religious religious constituency, and that's what it's all about is religion. And finding a way to get fucking religion out of our goddamn politics in Texas and in this country has been fucking impossible in so many ways. Uh, because first of all, we probably will not have an atheist president and for a very long time. And actually the government, I mean the, a poll, a national poll said that most Americans would rather have a, an even a gay president than an atheist president. So, I mean, <laughs> you know how much the, the right green conservatives hate gay people, but apparently they hate atheists even more. Um, but that is the problem here is that we have a state where people want to dictate what is right based upon their religious mythology rather than what is based on what is right, what's civil, civilly correct. And that's the difference between a Democrat and a Republican or a liberal and a, and a conservative. As I've, as I've always said, a, a conservative wants to do what's right for them and a liberal wants to do what's right for everyone. And that is the difference between us. So fuck the fucking conservatives. Oh, another show I saw, by the way, over the weekend, I watched Still Alice. This is depressing. I'm sorry. I'll re- say it really quick. But um, there was a movie. It's called Still Alice. It has Juliet. Julianne Moore in it. She's of course great. I love her. She's beautiful. She's an incredible actress. She can act in anything and she's just amazing. Anyway. And so I hadn't seen it in the theater when it was out last year. 
she won an Oscar for her performance and I watched it and it was so fucking heartbreaking. If you like this kind of movies, a tearjerker movies, whatever, this is definitely for you. Like a terms of endearment type thing. Right. Um, but it's, uh, it's a true story based on a real woman. I think that's what it said. And, um, she's really intelligent, a PhD teaches at Columbia university is a professor of linguistics, a world renowned professor. And she's teaching. And, and apparently she well, she discovers late, later that she has Alzheimer's early onset Alzheimer's and familial early onset Alzheimer's, which means it's hereditary. <clears throat> so she, uh, she declines very quickly. And one of the things I learned from the movie was that the more intelligent you are, if you do have this gene, or if you do develop Alzheimer's, the more intelligent you are, the quicker it progresses in your, your brain. And so I found that to be frightening. I consider myself to be relatively intelligent. I mean, like not Einstein or anything, but I'm intelligent. Right. And so, um, I guess the stupid people, you know, get to have a longer life without, with Alzheimer's. I don't know. But my point is, is that it was a sad movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it. And I'm rambling now. Sorry. Okay. And then also, um, there's a pastor on Grindr. Um, I'm sure you've seen this, this story. There's a pastor on Grindr who, uh, was caught, um, on Grindr. Basically he is a very a- vehemently anti-gay pastor and he talks about how gays should be, you should go to hell and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's the downfall of society, homosexuality, and they should repent and so forth. He was found like an idiot putting his picture and his dick and everything else on Grinder, uh, searching for gay sex. Apparently he's a top who likes to cuddle is what it said. So, um, this is just another example of the fucking hypocrisy of religious people in this country and the, and the Republicans and conservatives in this country who, who find it necessary to somehow, uh, at, at, at once be both, um, anti-gay and be gay themselves. I just, that is the epitome of disgusting to me. It, you know, hypocrites, I hate, I hate hypocrites more than anything in the world, even more than just liars. Hypocrites are worse because hypocrites will stand stand in their truth as you want to call it quote unquote and say to your face, they believe one thing and do something else behind your back. That is completely, completely abhorrent to me. And this is just symptomatic of the society we live in today. Of course, living in a fucking world where these fucking people, you know, are brainwashed to think what they think by religion. I'm sorry. Religion is fine. If you like, if you want to be religious, be religious. Good for you. If you want to believe in these things, if it makes you happy, no harm, no foul, whatever, but don't put your religious beliefs upon someone else or dictate what someone else has to be based upon your religious beliefs. Religious beliefs are nothing but beliefs. Religious beliefs are nothing but opinion, nothing more. And people, you know, die for their religious beliefs, which is ludicrous to me. People die for something in someone they've never seen and for something that they've been taught and brainwashed to believe. And if your religion is teaches love, which Christianity is supposed to do, and as most religions are supposed to do, and that's the primary tenet of most of religions in this world, if that's what your primary tenet is, then that's what you should be doing, not hating and judging and telling people what they should and shouldn't be doing. And so this pastor, if he's going to be gay and he wants to live a lie, he wants to go around and, and be married and have kids and all those sorts of things and on the down low or whatever, have sex with men or whatever, that's one thing. But once he's, once he's going to the pulpit and, and preaching against people just like himself and harming 
uh, and brainwashing people to believe all the nonsense he was taught, even though he himself doesn't necessarily believe it because he's gay, um, is ludicrous. Uh, oh, and there was that, sh- oh God, that was so funny. I'm sure you've seen the mom coming out at the mom and the closet door and the son's coming out to the mom. And she's like, you know, we were waiting for you to come out. You know, we're knocking on the door. You coming out. Okay. Come out when you're ready. We know we'll be out here, <laughs> you know? And it was just hilarious. So it's on, you can, you can watch that on queer tea. <clears throat> the last thing I want to talk about was the uh, chair basher basher. Oh, a couple more things. The chair basher guy in New York city. If you remember, there was a couple of weeks ago, the uh, gay couple in New York City, I think there were a couple, um, were bashed um, by a uh, guy at the Dallas barbecue in New York City on West 23rd Street. And the guys, they found out the guy's name. They found his identity and everything. His name is Baina El Amin, and he has an extensive criminal history. And he is the man that hit uh, Jonathan Snipes and, and Ethan York Adams over the heads with a chair. He also um, used anti-gay slurs and it was calling them faggot or whatever else. He has arrest records in Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Alabama, New Jersey for assault, shoplifting, drug possession, credit card fraud, forgery, and possession of stolen property. And so they think he's out of the country now. So if you know this guy, if you know where he is, for God's sakes, call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-577-TIPS because we need to catch someone like this. This man is abhorrent. Um, And there was the funniest thing about a suitcase that came out at the airport. It's not funny. Ha ha. But it's funny. Um, (laughs) It's not supposed to be funny. And it's really embarrassing and wrong. I'll say that. But it is I'm sorry. I shouldn't say it's funny at all, but it is funny. I'm sorry. In a way, um, what happened is a gay couple were coming back from a trip and they're waiting for their suitcase at the, um, at the return, you know, at the airport, uh, the baggage claim and, uh, their suitcase comes out. But lo and behold, it has their, like, I don't know how long it was like 10 inch or it was like, I don't know, it's 20 inch or something long purple dildo, with black grease all over it taped to the front of their bag. It was in the bag, neatly packed, uh, discreetly before, but one of the baggage claim attendants did this so that when it came out, they would be embarrassed, which is, which is horrible. So they're suing the airline for, you know, misconduct and for, um, the embarrassment they had to suffer as a result of this baggage claim handlers, um, prejudice. Um, and that's just, I mean, I just get so fucking sick of this nonsense, people. You know, it's ridiculous. But this is what we deal with being gay people in, in America these days. Um, the last thing was um, I wanted to say uh, quickly before I go. Uh, oh, I'm working on my memoir still. I'm almost done with it. I've been working on my memoir for years. <laughs> um, and it's just writing it is difficult because you have to relive everything. But I'm getting there. I'm almost done with the first draft finally. And once you get through the first draft, that's the hardest part. Once you get that done, you can go back and edit it and put it all together the way it should be put together. But um, I'm working on that. But I wanted to say thank you to John Patton. I had last week, I had um, aired an episode called Cancer, perhaps. Um, And uh, it was uh, about the fact that I was, um, that I had an MRI and a CAT scan and they found some, uh, they found a, a lump. Anyway, and um, I also have symptoms of the coughing and everything I have right now in my lungs. So even though I'm not a smoker. So um, uh, I wanted to say thank you to John for for what you said to me. That really meant a lot to me. It was very touching. And uh, I really do appreciate you saying that. You were the only person who said anything to me. (laughs) So I really 
I mean, on from the show anyway. And I want to say thank you for saying that. And I will see you. We will see you in Atlanta uh, when we go to see Madonna in August or September. So um, we look forward to seeing you guys. So that's all for Game Ass tonight. I want to thank you for listening. I'll be back next Tuesday, next 27th, I guess, or 26th. And um, we'll talk some more. Thanks for listening to the show, everybody. And you guys have a great night. Good night. Planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVic coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your Vic card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVic coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVic and Harris Teeter fuel points. 